hopefully my speech will be clearer than some of the slides will end up, but I think you'll all, I'll read most of what you need to read and I'll tell you what you need to hear. So, and I just pray this morning that the meditations of my heart and the words that I speak may reflect what God intends for us here today. Now, I have to tell you at first that I'm here legitimately, you know, anybody who has any questions, because I happen to have a license to preach from First Baptist Church, Leamington, Ontario, and fortunately, this actually about James' age is when it was awarded, and there's no expiry date. So unlike your driver's license or credit card, you're good for life. So here I am. So... uh, <laughs> anyway, just to to say, God knows what's happening even here today, because the theme of my message is the same as James was singing, and was repeated in the prayer that Jake made. Uh, we have all we need in Him. So I'm going to begin by telling you what the title is. Now, there's a a sort of common ground for trusting God, uh, and that is that he is a God of provision and a God of promise, and our role is simply that of faith, trust, and obedience. So, but the big word, the big word for today is covenant now. Jake introduced that word, thank you Jake, last week, and a covenant is nothing more than the expression of an arrangement that is set between two parties. And a covenant can be unconditional, the one party receiving their part of the covenant doesn't have to do anything to earn it or or work for it. And you have conditional covenants where one party agrees to one thing if another party agrees to another or does another sort of back and forth negotiation. Uh, This is unlike contracts. uh, Unconditional contract would be an oxymoron because contracts are always conditional. Somebody does something for somebody and somebody does something for them. For instance, if I were asked Brent to say, build me a house, but don't expect anything from me, I might not get a very good answer. And if I were to give him money and say, oh, it's okay, don't bother with the house, then it wouldn't be a good answer for me. So we have to look at covenants in a different fashion. God doesn't expect from us what he hasn't already given us to give back. So his covenants with us are unconditional. They flow from him and him alone. The Bible is a big umbrella of God's covenant with us. You're a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you, treasured possession. Know that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God who keeps the covenant, steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. And the key of the whole thing They will be my people, and I will be my God. And again, God knows what song should be here, because we sang that song, and God is my Father, 
and that's who he is. And he loves me, and that's who I am. So this is the key to working with the covenant and the key to why we can go back to the first slide and trust God for everything. Now, those of you who are old enough, I'm getting to be my age, will remember that there used to be pop charts. Popular songs used to be rated and ranked, and you listen in in the morning and find out that Elvis was number one on the pop chart or someone else. And so I use this acronym, so to speak, as a, as a good way of remembering some very important parts of the covenant relationship with God. The covenant relationship with God is based on unconditional provision and unconditional um, promises if and only if in between his people are obedient to what he asks. So uh, the, even though the covenant is unconditional and offered to us freely, the promises and provisions are always there, but we inherit them, we gain them, they are ours as we have faith in action. We, based, we have trust, we have confidence, we have hope in God and simply act in the way that he has asked us to, to receive the promise. And it's interesting because scripture tells us that God has put in us what he needs for us to be obedient. So in a sense, we're just acting out what God's already planted in our hearts. <clears throat> in order to receive the promises. Now, the... The promises, as we've said, are conditional. And I want to show you through some examples of scripture, just how you can now look at a piece of scripture and read it with this pop chart approach in mind. It's a very valuable way of approaching scripture. Interestingly enough, there are over 300 mentions of the word covenant in the Bible. Uh, most of them are in the Old Testament, some in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, in, further to that, there are double, double that number, 600 personal promises to us as God's children. And like a father speaking to his children, I promise, I promise, I promise. 600 times personal promises, not just promises of no more flood or promises of a big thing. Promises to us that we can receive. So I hope that, I, I won't expect you to read this, I'll just give you my, the pop chart summary. Um, God gave everything to Adam and Eve in the garden. Everything they needed for life, fulfillment, and happiness. That was his provision, his creation, the ultimate part of his creation. Their role, simply to exist, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, take care of it, subdue it. Seems like 
strong word today, but take care of it. And then one, one prerequisite, don't be disobedient and eat the tree in the midst of the garden. So God said, all you need to do is be here in my garden, exist with me, be fruitful, multiply, and you will be blessed, have dominion, and everything was good. So this is the first covenant in the Bible. There's a provision, there's obedience, and there's a promise. Unfortunately, that was broken. The next covenant in the Bible that's really of significance is Abraham. Now, this would take many slides to do the covenant with Abraham, and I've chosen this one because when Abraham and Hebrews and many others were considered heroes of our, heroes of our faith, the one remarkable part of that story is Abraham's obedience when he offered up Isaac. Now, this is not in the same sequence. I've just gone verse by verse. But the promise that he received was, my, my seed is going to come, the seed for the future, the seed of salvation is going to come through you. And that's the promise for his son. Isaac would be the next in the generation. Abraham was able to be obedient because he even believed that God could raise his son from the dead so that this would be fulfilled. So Abraham, as the father of the nation of Israel, was, was obedient even to this level because of his trust in God and because God had done what he said he would do for him in the past. So this one of the things of, there's always a, a um, what you might call a prologue to God speaking. He always reminds us of what he's done in the past in order to prepare us to receive what he's going to do in the future. In many cases in the Old Testament, you say, remember, I took you out of the land of Egypt and I gave you land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, if I can provide that, I can provide you manna in the wilderness. And of course, we get to Moses and the wilderness. And this is, for the people of that time, Trust God, the obedient part. Trust God, love, live by his rules, and keep a right relation to God and others. Like love God and your neighbor as yourself, of course, is the summary that Jesus gave and that Jake referred to. You think that wouldn't be a tough call, but seven times in the Old Testament, you know, the people failed to be obedient, lost the promise that it may go well with you, it went badly for them, and they didn't. Some of them didn't stay even in their own land. They were sent in exile. But God had provided for them all they needed. He had his instructions, his laws. Their needs would be met. And, uh, but still, and this is something we have to keep in mind, that uh, our trust in God can vary, can waver, and we have to be sure that and his rules today to live by, as we'll get to the gospel, his rules to live by today have nothing to do with you know, keeping the letter of the law. It's really just trusting, believing in what he has done for us. So, again, small lettering. So, the new covenant. 
interestingly enough, just to do a little sidebar here, the, it's very, it's really not a good idea to sort of put too firm a line between the Old Testament and the New Testament and say, well, in the Old Testament, people had to do this for God, and in the New Testament, God did this for us. One's living by the law, one's living by grace. Um, the covenant uh, remains the same. It's expressed in a different way, but it's better to look at God's relationship with man as we did in the first slide, as you're, I'm your God, you're my people, and no matter what time in history we're looking at, this was my faithfulness to you. And uh, sometimes we get the idea that we have to live under the law while we're under grace, and this is sort of mistaking the transition that's occurred. But still, God is God, and, uh, and we're not. So in the New Covenant, he came, on to, he came from heaven, became flesh, dwelt among us, glory as of the Father, grace and truth, and most people, as it says, even though the provision is there, did not receive him. But as many as received him who believed in his name, all that was required, received him, believed in his name, the promise was theirs, power to become the sons of God. And we were born then, like the Nicodemus was told in uh, in John 13, John 3, 16, and before John 3, Nicodemus was toward, told, born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, but of God. So we are born again, and then from this, his fullness, we receive grace upon grace. And as Jake said last week, we receive all the things for life and health and, uh, and anything else that we would require. Now, this is even smaller, or more word, smaller print, but uh, it, it really summarizes what, uh, what Paul would say and Peter say, the, the uh, epistles have said, is that through his divine power, he has given us as a provision all things that pertain to life and godliness. That was the verse that Jake used last week through the knowledge of him who's called us to glory and virtue. And when we read the next section, we add to our faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, then self-control, steadfastness, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity. All of these things evolve not from our efforts, but because of the provision that God has given us of planting in us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So again, it's not a legalistic thing. I must be steadfast. I must show self-control. I must love my neighbor. This is something that if God is working in our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, which we receive at our baptism and acceptance of him and belief in him, these things come to us out of our, the, really the outflow of our hearts. And then, of course, this concludes with, if you do these things, you shall never fall, never stumble. So, and then, of course, the expansive words of 
entrance ministered to you into the kingdom of our Lord and exceeding great and precious promises. Interestingly enough, there are two promises in the Bible that are unconditional. And I didn't refer to one back earlier, but one promise God has made that requires nothing of us is there will never be a flood to wipe out mankind from on the earth. And the second unconditional promise is I am coming again. We, we, are, we are recipients of a promise in the future that, and we don't know the time, we don't know the place, but God will be with us and come again to bring his own to himself. So Jesus is coming soon is the promise. Of course, in that day, people thought soon meant soon, and now we're wait, but uh, we wait in a world that, of uncertainty. And so all our obedience, we stand firm in the faith. We're not required, and just keep remembering all of these things. We believe, we act out of what God has planted in our hearts. We stand firm and we conquer. We conquer because of what God has planted in us. We love God. We know that he is there for us under all circumstances. And we can trust him for everything. He's all, all we need. The Bible, if you read the Bible and look at the 600 personal promises, you will see that every promise God has made a provision and all that we require is its acceptance. We don't have to run off and, and try something special to gain the promise that he has provided for us. So we look forward to the provision of all things new and healed. And uh, at the end of this message, uh, we're going to go back with you to the Garden of Eden and, and talk about just what you know, your life can look like uh, prior to the end of time and how you can live hour by hour, day by day, with present confidence in who God is and what he has done for us. That's just an anticipation. So just to review this again, and, uh, and uh, interesting, I, I meant to mention this at first, but it's probably an appropriate time now. If you received last week Jake's a copy that he provided of Paul's Four Life-Changing Prayers. You'll realize if you pick this up when you go home or look at it off your mirror mantle, I see now why Paul could pray these prayers. He can ask, he can pray for us in this fashion because he knew in his own life the provision by God, the power of God in his life, and he knew the the great blessing of being obedient to the God who'd called him to be his own. And uh, so he can pray these prayers for us. And I encourage you, one thing we've done, Evelyn and I, in some prayer ministry times is put your own name. And the brother where it says, may give you, may give Evelyn, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, put your own name in there and pray those. These are very powerful or have someone pray them over you. So our trust 
and obedience is reflected in our trust of God because what he has done for us has led us to satisfaction, security, a strong foundation, hope, and grace coming from him in every possible way, and unending love and benevolence towards us. So we, we have this relationship with our God, our Father, that, Lord, I trust you. My life now can be filled even in difficult times, as James said in his song, even in difficult times, my life can be filled with joy because I have security in you. I have satisfaction in you. I know who you are. And it's nothing about us. It, we, we tend to go back to some of the, the errors of the garden and say, I want to be self-sufficient. I want to manage my life. I want to you know, sort of make something happen. But uh, God doesn't need us to be doing that, to be blessed through him. So, if faith is trusting God to do what he's promised, and obedience is following God because he is dependable, then these two things are very closely linked together. And God can command what he commands and ask us to do what he asks because his promises, as we've said before, are sure. So to trust God in negative circumstances really honors God, to trust God in any circumstance, but particularly in, in difficult times, honors his faithfulness and shows our confidence in what he has done for us and continues to do. So when we acknowledge God as our savior, we also acknowledge him as our Lord. So you know, I, the trust and obedience work out quite well because if we trust God as our savior and he fills us, it's easy for us to then to be obedient to him as Lord. And through this then comes the ability to uh, love our neighbor, love him freely, and to live a life that is full of the joy and satisfaction that he intends. But we're always in competition in this life of trust and obedience with the life of the world. Seeking things of the world will disappoint us. I think everybody here can acknowledge that. God does not disappoint. His promises and provisions are sure. David, who lived through tough times, uh, could say in the Psalms over and over again, God has not disappointed me. He freely offers me everything I need, more than this world has to offer. That's why reading the Psalms in times of difficulty is a very powerful thing. When I went through my depression, I got up at 6.30 in the morning and I read the Psalms. And this was a great blessing to me because it just put me back in a place of saying, yes, I can trust you. I don't have to 
face life on my own. So when, uh, when Jake was speaking about worries and fears, uh, God says to us, I'll provide what you need. Uh, but if we claim to love God and still have these elements of fear and worry and concern and upset and anger, and we're really, it's really a contradiction. I mean, trust and obedience exist on one stream, pride, thinking I have to do it myself, worrying about things in the, in the real world. Uh, we need to say to God, I'm sorry, uh, forgive me. I was wrong to do this. I trust you. I, I know you're after my well-being and you're the alone, only thing that can offer that to me. So it's not God plus anything. It's not God plus our efforts. It's not God plus our willpower or positive thinking. But simply our response, as I've said perhaps enough today, it's our response to the great provisions and promises of God who sustains our life. So now I want, this is an exercise for you to do. And uh, I want you to, I'm going to help you in, in working towards what I might call a peaceful place. Just to let you know where this slide is taken, this is uh, Paul Cézanne's studio from Aix-en-Provence, France. And uh, it was a very peaceful place to, to visit and to be in. But you're here today, it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a covenant. The Sabbath reflects the fact that where most of you should, if you didn't trust God and didn't feel his provisions and promises were sure, you'd be out working. You, wouldn't be, you would be seeking after the things the world seeks after. So our Sabbath experience and what God intended for the Sabbath is a covenant in itself. It's a signpost. It's saying to us, that hour by hour, day by day, uh, you can live a life of Sabbath living. You can trust me. You don't have to go out and collect manna on Sunday. I've provided it for you. You don't have to do all this work on Sunday. I am your fulfillment in life. So I want you to picture yourself in your peaceful place and I want you to lay claim to what God is promising and has provided for you. And since he says, I have needed, I have provided all that you needed to fulfill your calling for your life, I just like you to picture your own sort of part of the Garden of Eden, whatever it might look like, because interestingly enough, we're back in the Garden of Eden. I mean, Jesus was the second Adam. We're his heirs and, and sort of offspring. So we have our own personal garden of Eden that we can exist in. And in this, despite, despite the state of the world around us, we can stay there. Uh, so I just, I'll actually work this out as perhaps part of a prayer. So if you just rest in this, Heavenly Father, I am feeling accepted. I'm not fearing, because what can mere man do to me? I'm not worrying, because I'm seeking your kingdom, and I know all these things are provided for me. 
I can step out, as Andrea said, and take chances because God is with me. He sustains me. I can love God for who he is, for what he's done and what he's provided. I can love my neighbor contentedly as myself because I have no need for anything more than you. I don't have to covet. I can extend the grace and peace that I receive from you and compassion to my neighbor. And I can rest in you for all things. So we just close in a final prayer. Heavenly Father, I acknowledge that we are chosen covenant people to whom God alone is committed to lead, guide, and provide for and deliver us from evil as unique individual recipients of his love. We in turn covenant that we will grant worship in word and deed by resting in your will, trusting in your sustenance, and praising and obeying you in every circumstance and turning to you in our time of need. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Jesus, for whom we have this new and marvelous freedom and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.